In the morning, my brothers and sisters in Christ, how are you today? Welcome to the Sunday edition of St. Mark Bemidji's Podcast, a podcast that brings you the Sunday sermon after seven days of fine marination in the fridge of our servers to bring out the best flavor. Thank you, as always, for joining us. You bring this podcast to life from its humble beginnings of ones and zeros on some dusty hard drive. When you listen to it or share it with a friend, you are helping in the work of the church to learn and to preach teach, and confess our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Today's meditation is titled, Justification Defined, and it's based upon a reading from Romans chapter 3, verse 19 through 28. Now we know, whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world be held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, Through the law we become conscious of our sin. But now apart from the law the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith, apart from the works of the law. And now, for today's sermon. The scene is that of a courtroom. One that we might be familiar with if you watch those crime shows or you see trials going on on TV. The judge, the jury, the plaintiff, the defendant. The evidence is all rolled out, and it's indisputable against the accused. Caught red-handed, multiple offenses for twisted, depraved, rebellious behavior. There is no excuse. There is no alibi. There is no plea deal to be made. And the sentence to be handed down is crushing in its severity, The accused sits in the chair behind the bench, melting in a puddle of cold sweat and fear because the jury has met. They've reviewed the evidence. There's no way around it. Stillness hangs in the air. And one by one, the charges are read out. And after each one, The singing word guilty comes out. And with each word guilty, the severity of the punishment increases. The accused is me. The accused is you. 
if we were to be put on trial in the courtroom of God and everything laid out, the evidence would be insurmountable. St. Paul says in Romans, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that's us, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. We are all under the law, no matter who we are. Well, what law? The Ten Commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law. That's how we read it. The law is to be carried out to the letter. As Christians, as believers in the one true God, as fellow church members, as spouses, husbands, wives, parents, children, students, employers, employees, workers, neighbors, friends. That law is to be carried out to perfection. But on all of those counts, as we examine ourselves, we are guilty. Guilty as charged for breaking the perfect law of God. Paul says the whole world should stand silent. In other words, we can't make a defense of ourselves. What do you say when the evidence is presented? It's like a little kid fumbling through his words when a parent says, I caught you, I know you did it. There's no excuse. There's no alibi. There's no defense. And there's no plea deal to be made. In Martin Luther's early life, he was bent on trying to provide a defense for himself. Trying to turn his entire life, really, into some kind of a plea deal with God. He became a monk. He wore intentionally uncomfortable undergarments made of wool. He slept on cold stone floors. He whipped himself. He deprived himself of food in some vain attempt to appease God by his self-denial and to show his sorrow and self-abasement over sin like he was trying to strike some kind of deal. Look how sorry I am, God. Look how much I can beat myself up over this. In some of his writings, his early writings, Luther even admits to hating God. How can he demand this of me? How can he demand that this law be kept to the letter without fault? How can God give that to his people and say, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect? How can he say that when he knows that I can't be? And we have no hope of doing so. Luther had an extremely sensitive conscience. He found himself in the confessional booth with his father confessor priest on the regular. And the sad thing was, all Luther knew in those early years was he was relying on man-made solutions for sin. Attempting to mitigate the verdict that he knew fully well was his guilty. And Paul speaks, uh, the law of which Paul speaks then in this section 
is that voice of God that confronts everybody, not just Martin Luther, but everybody convicts us with sin. It's God's moral law that He demands that we keep consistently and perfectly. It's God's moral law by which He demands that our motives be pure and our actions righteous. Paul says we have to be silent. There is no self-abasement or self-denial. There is no finding yourself. You look out at the world and you see the maybe some of the world's solutions for what the, what the world defines as sin. You can better yourself. There's self-improvement. There's moving on with life. There's coming to terms with your past. Moving on, putting one, putting it behind you. That's how the world makes right with sin. There is no work. There is no deed. There is no pure motivation. There is no active service that mitigates the punishment of hell that we deserve to put us right with God on our own. This is the law. It's cold. It's final. It's unmoving. You and I, by rights, deserve hell. Somebody once told me, oh, pastors these days are kind of uh, backing off on the hellfire and brimstone thing. No, we shouldn't. We should not. Because every creature under heaven by rights deserves that. For the littlest white lie, we deserve hell. But that's what makes this next line all the more powerful. All the more beautiful. But now apart, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. So the law stands. But apart from the law, there is something more valid. There is something else. There is a new solution. That which was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Justified freely by His grace. Justified at a cost? No. After recompense has been paid? After you've beaten yourself up enough over guilt or sin? No. Justified freely. Back to the court scene. To the moment when the defendant wants to melt down in the seat into a puddle of tears and sweat. The judge's hammer rings out and the verdict is not guilty. Acquitted. Free to go. Justified. How? But the law says, the law says, the law says, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, says Paul, through the shedding of His blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance He had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate His righteousness at the present time so as to be just 
and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Punishment has been paid for already. The sins committed before by the people in the Old Testament, Jew and Gentile alike, and for all the sins committed afterwards. By Paul, Luther, me, you, everybody, all people. The sentence is lifted. It's done away with in Christ and Christ alone through the shedding of his blood. That the innocent one took the punishment that the truly guilty ones deserve. How could such a thing be? Reminds me of some different words of Paul. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard. This mercy is from God alone. This message is from heaven alone. Inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is Luther's famous tower moment. When he saw from the Word itself that just as Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness all the way back in the Old Testament, that same faith is yours and mine. The only difference is our place and time. Abraham looked ahead to the crucified Savior. We look back on it. From the beginning in the fall into sin, God promised Jesus to be His people's righteousness. To punish Him. To exact justice on Him. Not you and I. Rather that in Jesus we might be justified. That because the blood of the immortal Son of God, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, because His blood was spilled, no punishment for sin remains. It is indeed finished. And thus you are acquitted. I am acquitted, set free, justified, freely. And this is the thing in Luther's day, this key doctrine of justification through faith in Jesus, this is what had been lost. Not completely gone, but this is what had disappeared from the common church. It got buried under greed inundated in self-righteousness and mauled over by those who were entrusted to remember it. This is what made Luther so angry when he stumbled upon this section of the Bible because he saw just how clearly the free and faithful grace of God was being washed over. They sold salvation in the form of pilgrimages, the lighting of candles, kissing church steps, paying to touch supposed relics from Bible times, pieces of the true cross, and buying indulgences to pay off your time in purgatory. Again, a made-up, make-believe doctrine that taught that there's somewhere in between that you go when you die. To pay off your sins. It covered over the beautiful statement of Jesus from the cross. It is finished. It's finished. <laughs> this is what Luther is pointing out here. This is righteousness apart from the law. Justification apart from the law. There is nothing that you and I can do to boast about that would say, Look at how much God can love me now because of what I have done. No, it's apart from the law. 
It stands on its own. As Dr. Luther taught justification, this doctrine of justification is the doctrine of the church by which the church rises or falls. There's still the gross offender that teaches that you get into God's good graces by how many candles you light or how many saints you pray to or, or the like to get yourself out of purgatory. But there's another one that's a little bit more subtle that goes around these days. There's churches that teach that your faith is a work. Because you accepted Jesus into your heart. Because you made that decision for God. That's something that you can take credit for. Thus, it's your ability to believe that saves you. No. Jesus saved you. Christ Jesus saved you. It's done. And it stands. You stand justified. And you can tell that to anybody that you look in the eyes of. Any person you come across, you can say, Jesus died for your sins. You are fully and freely forgiven. Well, pastor, you saying that everyone's going to heaven regardless of what they believe or how they behave? No. Of course, that justification, that verdict can be rejected. Somebody can say, I don't need that. I can rely on myself. That's kind of the point here, isn't it? This is not about works. It's not about the things that we do. It's not about the works of the law. It's not even about our ability to decide or not. It's the Holy Spirit. Faith. Looking at your crucified and risen Savior. You see the punishment exacted. And know for certain that that should have been mine. But He took it for me. And it's the Holy Spirit who creates that faith in His people. We have the opportunity then to share that verdict of justified, set free with everybody. And we do that when we have those opportunities in our lives with people to show God's mercy and explain it. Maybe you know somebody who is troubled by a sin or they confess a sin to you. Our answer in those conversations is critical. Is the answer that we give one that reflects a worldly thinking? Well, you can move past it. You can be a better person. You can, you can, you, you know, you you can uh, build yourself up. You can change the way that you you act. Maybe a comment like that might have its place. But what about this? Just the fact that those things ring hollow at the end of the day. When the thoughts turn inward. And even ourselves, we hear the whisper of the devil. Are you good enough? Are you sure? How could you have been so foolish? How could you have said that? How could you have left that undone? What if they won't forgive me? How can God forgive me if they won't forgive me? How can God forgive me if I can't forgive myself? Maybe you know someone like that. Maybe that someone is you. What a privilege it is. What a privilege it is to define justification for somebody. To tell them that 
the judgment of others, the judgment of yourself. It really matters nothing. We're not our own judge. Our judge is gracious. Our judge is merciful beyond human reckoning. We have no need to be fearful. We have no need to be the fearful, trembling wreck in the courtroom. Because the verdict is in. Yes, the evidence has been presented. Yes, it's all been laid out at the table. But the judge is Jesus. Apart from anyone, apart from even yourself, apart from the law in Christ alone, we're justified. Amen. We hope that today's meditation on God's Word has enriched you. Divine services are held right here in Bemidji, Minnesota at 8 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Sunday school and adult Bible study is also offered between our Sunday services at 9.15 a.m. Our church services are live-streamed at 8 a.m. on Sunday mornings and are available afterwards on our channel, St. Mark Lutheran Church Bemidji. If you're listening or watching this podcast, you are cordially invited to join us in person next week and every week. This is our fourth year producing this podcast, and there is a large archive of devotional material online available if you want to learn more about God and His Word. Visit www.stmarkbemidji.org or look in the show notes in this podcast for a link to this and many other meditations on God. You can also search for St. Mark Bemidji on YouTube to find our channel. If you have any questions or you would like more information about our church and its ministry, please visit our website, which is once again, www.stmarkbemidji.org All scripture readings are taken from the Holy Bible, New International Version, copyright 2011, and are used by permission from Zondervan. Meditation's daily devotional is published by Northwestern Publishing House and is also used by permission. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider subscribing and telling a friend. May God bless the rest of your day. salvation free lasting to eternity